Uh, lawyers call those idiots with pens. This is episode 23 of the Michigan Real Estate Investor Network podcast, hashtag the network. We are coming to you from the network studios inside Michigan Investment Title. This episode is brought to you by IDCL. Hey, everybody. We are back with another episode of Michigan Real Estate Investor Network and uh, pretty excited to be here today with my esteemed broadcast partners, as always. Hi, Dylan. Nice to see you. Hey, Dylan. Hi, Erica. How are you? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Sobel, good to see you. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll introduce myself really quick. I know we only do this for like one minute for the new folks who are watching, but my name is Dylan Tanaka. I'm a full-time real estate investor slash broker uh, focused here in Metro Detroit. And all day, every day, I buy, flip, and sell houses. I was waiting for David, but I can go next. I'm Erica Weichel. I own Michigan Investment Title. I've been in title for 25 years, and I'm here as your title expert. Hi, I'm David Sobel. I'm a real estate attorney since 1990. I'm also uh, a uh, very active real estate investor, and so I like to say I not only talk the talk, but I walk the talk. So thanks for having us, Dylan. Yeah, this is this is awesome. So everybody who is um, who's who's kind of involved in the in our podcast here um, usually is someone who is focused on real estate investing. Sometimes they help us as real estate investors do more business. But um, even Erica, being entitled, she has um, she has done some real estate investing, and she focuses on investors to help us do what we do better and uh, to make higher profits. So what today's show is about is really cool. Um, it's probably I don't know. I would say the the, the biggest question that I get maybe after like, hey, should I do this thing or should I be a real estate investor? And um, really, uh, you know, it's how the heck do you fund your deals? So we wanted to take a whole episode on this and explain, you know, the five or six main ways that, uh, that investors fund their real estate deals. So we'll, we'll break each one down and, um, and go from there. That sounds good. So, uh, I guess I'll get started really quick here. So the, um, I'll go through all six, but I won't, I won't do any explanations. But so we're going to talk about how to get money from banks. We're going to talk about using your own cash. We're also going to talk about private money. We'll talk about hard money. We'll talk a little bit about seller financing and IRAs as they're kind of secondary, but I think still important um, to, to the, uh, to the investing world out there. So, um, I guess uh, when, when guys and gals first get started with real estate investing, they, they always try to figure out right away, you know, where the heck do they get the money? And I think initially just the way that we're kind of brought up in this country is you go to a bank, you know, you, you sit down, you explain how, what kind of money you want, how much you need and try to borrow money to buy a, a property. So I think that's kind of the, the first way that people think about it. But um, you know, it goes a lot deeper than that. You guys have any input? I know people who do it on credit cards, right? I mean, you hear a bunch of stories of, of people buying property on credit cards, but normally most people don't have, uh, you know, $25,000 laying around. So they do need to get some form of financing, right? Exactly. And I, I think, I think the first thing that they do is they turn to banks and when you're buying a property, you can, you can just secure a regular old mortgage. Um, 
you can also get equity lines and on your your personal home you know we're not talking about uh investors here who have 20 30 50 or, or hundreds of properties so this is kind of geared toward those just getting started and figuring out how they're going to fund their deals so a lot of guys or, or, um, or investors out there might have some equity in their house so they can get an equity loan, which, which right now is kind of easy to do and um, the rates are favorable. So you can borrow money from your personal home and then use that to buy and, and flip or buy in and fix and rent out. And then the other thing is with banks, if you have really good credit, you can get personal loans too, which like David just said, it's kind of like a, a credit card. Personal loans are, are definitely more difficult to get than they were 10 or 15 years ago. But if you're very credit worthy, they are available. Not without you becoming a personal guarantor. So, you know, since 2008, everybody is signing, uh, you know, their personal uh, obligations on a note or a mortgage. Yeah. So, David, if you want to maybe drill into that a little bit, when, when folks go to a bank, typically, again, for a new person, we're all going to sign personally to get some bank financing. So what are the repercussions if things go wrong? Well, you know what? I came up in banking. So, you know, that's really where I started my, my career is in, in mortgage banking for large uh, lending institutions. And, you know, just coming through the door, you have to have a relationship with the loan officer. Um, I think that since 2008, however, you know, banks are definitely skittish in dealing with first time investors. So the repercussions, no matter what you do, you're going to need to you know, if you don't have any experience, you, you're gonna have to bring somebody in who's, let's say a co-signer or uh, somebody who's gonna work with you who, who's credit worthy, uh, who can impress upon the bank that they're a legitimate, credible, credit worthy, uh, you know, borrower. Um, but in the end, the first, I wouldn't call it a repercussion, but it's definitely a, a contingent liability is whoever you're gonna go into the bank with, they're going to need to sign as what we call a co-signer. And um, that, that can be hard to get a, a co-signer, usually a mentor or a family member, somebody who's willing to work with you, um, you know, an investor, co-investor, they might co-sign for you. Uh, lawyers call those idiots with pens, by the way. I hate to, I hate to say <laughs> that, but uh, that is the tr truth. Are you laughing just to laugh or? You know? No, I... I, uh, it's rare that you, you make statements like that because, um, you know, we've known each other for a good while now. And, uh, it's just funny that, that when you bring that up, because a lot of us, you know, we're not, we're not inside those rooms when, when the attorneys right. get together and say, what the heck did these people do? Well, I would never call them an idiot to their face. And quite frankly, I don't, it's just, you have to, you have to know the bank needs to know their borrower. And since 2008, nobody who is making a loan, a credible lender, is going to be making a loan to a borrower without a personal guarantee. So when you're making that loan application, the, the bank is definitely going to be looking at your credit worthiness. And if you've never, I have a lot of clients who, who are first time investors. And the first thing they say is I'm going to run to the bank. I'm going to get a loan. Well, you better have collateral right up front. So one of the repercussions I would say is, you know, you're going to have to put something up. Most people put their primary residence up as collateral. And, and Dylan, you had said it earlier that they're taking a line of credit or a home equity line out. So what's the first, you know, I, the first obligation or the first, you know, drawback? Well, if your real estate investment program doesn't work out well, which in this environment, it should do well, but if it doesn't, if something blows up, you're putting your, your primary residence in jeopardy. 
So, you know, I hate to start out a conversation today being so negative, but uh, it's not my intent to be negative. It's my intent to be, uh, to, to give people, you know, some form of caution before you just go out and just sign off uh, on a home equity line. So you know. David, if we did a, you know, a personal loan, so other than credit, what other assets could be used as collateral? I don't think, first of all, there's very few lenders out there, both non-depository institutions. Those are uh, banks that don't, you know, they're usually mortgage banks. They don't take um, uh, deposits or they don't have checking or savings accounts uh, or even just regular lending institutions. There are very few that are going to give you a, a personal loan. So, uh, you know, Dylan had in, in one of his programs uh, that he speaks, you know, he, had, he holds in, in Macomb County at the RIA, uh, he had a lady uh, speak, and I'm, I'm not going to mention her name today, but unless Dylan, uh, you know, gives me permission. But uh, the thing is, is that she had talked about how she amassed her homes by using credit cards. Now, that's, that's not really using a bank. I mean, you're using a bank card, but you, you may not be going to a bank per se to get your line of credit. I, again, anytime you, you know, sign up for a loan, whether it's through a credit card or just, you know, a mortgage, you, it's always exciting to go into a transaction, buy that first or second home, but there are implications. And that is what happens if it doesn't go well? Well, now you're on the hook. So most people, Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong, um, do go to get financing through friends and family. They raise money through, you know, friends and family, or they use what we call a seller buyback or some form of land contract, seller financing. That's pretty common when it comes to first time uh, purchases and real estate investing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, um, we're going to talk about those couple things next. And I guess, um, I guess just to put a bow on banks, you know, it might seem easy. I think that the three things to think about are, it's really easy to find bank financing. I didn't say get it. It's easy to find it because we all <laughs> are members of banks. You know, we all have bank accounts. Um, the, the drawback is if you get a mortgage and you personally sign, uh, they can come after you if the, if the deal goes bad, which we hope that it doesn't. But if there is an issue, they can come back on you. And, um, you know, the third thing is if you're working with bank money in the beginning, a lot of times it's very, very slow and that's okay. But you're not, you're not usually going to get the best deal because in real estate investing, especially in, um, in residential, the, the fastest person to the deal typically wins. That's an excellent point. That last so, point is the most important. Yeah. So that, you know, that's why we talk about private money. So we'll, we're going to move from banks, which everyone pretty much understands how banks work, um, to your own cash. This one probably is the shortest of all. And um, for some of the new people who are watching this or listening, um, listening to the podcast, probably say, well, how the heck do you have $50,000? And um, that, you know, this show isn't about mindset, but you do have to have a mindset shift when you, when you decide to become an entrepreneur, especially a real estate entrepreneur, because there are millions and millions of dollars out there that um, are untapped that we're going to talk about today and that, that we teach about in, in other events, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit more specific and more granular, but um, having your own cash, basically the way that I look at that means whether, whether it be money in um, like a 401k or something like that, or if you actually have the money right in your bank account, some people do have millions of dollars in their checking account or their business checking accounts. Um, an example is, uh, there's a lot of investors who I deal with who may be 
business owners. They're not 100% real estate investors. They use that, you know, in their port in their investment portfolio. They may hold rental properties as an example. So they may have a couple hundred thousand laying around at the end of the year from from their um, from their operations, and they decide to buy a few rental properties, and that works great. So in that case, you don't need banks necessarily. So you you can use your own money, and some folks really do just have 50 or 100 grand in their checking account to buy and, and sell property with. Well, especially yeah. their 401k. So you exactly. can be your own bank. You can borrow against your 401k and you can pay yourself back, I think. But the rate of interest is at like 8%, I believe. I haven't, I haven't seen that in a while, but people do borrow against their 401k. Sure. Yeah. And it, 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 I think it floats with prime, but it's usually somewhere it's, it's pretty favorable rate compared to, you know, we'll get into the hard money and private money, but um, yeah, I mean, Erica can attest to this, you know, she's, she's obviously not going to spill the beans on any of her clients, but being entitled as many years as you've been, how many people just walk in with cash or it comes out of their personal account when it comes wired to you guys. And it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So there's tons of money out there. I guess that's what I want to get across. So Erica, you wanted to say something about that? Well, yeah, a lot of our investors have their own cash. I mean, they're the experienced investors. The, the newer ones, they find it. You know, they, they're out there, they'll hustle, they'll find it, they'll partner, they'll, you know, find a way to, to make the deal work. So, I mean, it, cash, cash is king. And even when it's, even when it's heavy. I'm at home. <laughs> that's that's Thor. He's protecting David. Sorry, hold on. You're okay. Go ahead, Erica. Yeah. So even when it comes to to retail deals, I mean, the, the cash deals are usually the ones that are accepted because they're the fastest to the table, the fastest to close. So sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the bonus with having your own cash. And again, um, I want this to be a mindset shift for you, for you new folks out there listening. Um, there's a lot of cash out there. So whether, whether you want to be on the sales side and you want to, you want to get into wholesaling, we're not talking about that today, but there are a lot of folks out there with cash. And the cool thing is when you have your own money, you make your own rules. Whereas with the banks, they're going to be so strict. And that's why I said it could take 30, 45, 60 days, 90 days to get bank financing compared to having your own cash. So that's the bonus of using your own money. You also don't have to pay, um, you know, you don't have to pay interest on it. However, um, you know, the, the longer your own money's out on one deal, you might be missing another one. So that, that's always something to think about too. And I, I guess I'll, go ahead. I just think a lot of people too, I mean, even for the experienced people out there, if your money is out there and you don't have direct access to it because you would have to sell it to get your money back. So I think that holds a lot of people back. So I think that plays into that, that mindset shift that people have to have to work on. I mean, their money is there it's still there, but to get it back out if they needed it. So, I mean, it's just, it really is a mind, mind change that you have to work on. You know, Erica, now that I, set the dog outside on the other side of the city. I just want to share with you what you say is extremely important when it comes to cash reserves. So people will buy a home, but don't, you know, and you may have stuff, uh, money set aside, Dylan. Uh, I think you would agree as well to do your repairs and your fix ups and everything like that. But if you, let's say you have a, a tenant who's not paying for a long time and you have to do an eviction or there's a lawsuit, so it's not just having the cash to purchase the property, um, but definitely having a buffer. Am I correct, Erica? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because if they don't pay and you're counting on that money to make that payment back or um, you're using that for your next deal that you have lined up, you know, 
your cash isn't readily accessible. And I, I've seen a few people just have to sell to get out from under it and, you know, to be able to, to move forward. So they call that reserves. You need to have enough reserve. But that's cash. So what about private investors, uh, Dylan? Well, that, that pretty much brings us to the holy grail of what um, most residential real estate investors, and I think quite a, quite a bit of commercial, um, but we focus on residential real estate investing um, you know, for this show and for our group. So private money, um, to me, the definition basically is just money that a private individual either has in their bank account or has access to. So it may be in an IRA, it may be, it may be in stocks, it may be in bonds, they may have to shift it around. But um, the way that private money works is you as the investor get to create a relationship with a private individual who decides to lend you, your company, however you set that up, money to buy and sell real estate. So you have dry powder, actual cash in your hand to make a decision today, hopefully a good decision, but to make a decision today and you don't have to go to the banks, you don't have to have everything underwritten, you don't have to have appraisals or home inspections. We'll talk probably a little bit more about that. As you're newer, some of those things will be important, but having actual cash in hand to buy property is the way to make the most profits. So when you, I'll just add that when you have access to that type of cash, let's say you find your private investor, you need to have an agreement um, with that private investor with regards to the purchase of the property. Who, you know, is that person going to hold a mortgage on the property? Is that person going to be an equity, you know, just have an equity stake or are they going to actually own the property with you? Which is really a very important consideration. Um, I'm usually called in to, to straighten out deals between partnerships that go bad uh, because the, you know, up front, the parties didn't really have a good solid agreement as to how they wanted to proceed forward when they were purchasing the property using their private money. So that's something to consider. There's always the unexpected that happens. So, and people don't plan for that. Yeah, so uh, kind of you know double doubling back. This is a great topic for for the three of us because we're we're all in a little bit different sectors in in real estate investing, and um, what David kind of alluded to is what's so great is you get to create your own terms. Now you have to create them together with your lender, but that lender might want participation in the deal, want part of the profits. They may just want to rate on their money. They may want their money out for thirty years. They may want it only out for thirty days. So you have, to, um, you have to be able to, to figure that out with them up front to know so, so you know what kind of transaction you're going to be in. But again, I guess you know, me being the positive mindset guy today, I just want everyone who's listening and watching this to know there are, there are literally millions of dollars in private money, even in every single real estate investor group or meetup that you go to right here in Metro Detroit. There is so much money that's not going to use. And the folks who, who hang out with us and um, you know do what we do or want to do what we do, there's a lot of investors who also lend money. I mean, David, you know, David can back me up on that, as can Erica. Once we graduate from just doing deals, a lot of us would like to be able to sit back and collect, um, you know, collect a rate on, on our money rather than doing all the hard work sometimes. I think that the private investing is the best way. Um, it's unlimited, and the terms that you can set um, you know, they don't necessarily look at your credit. They don't necessarily, you know, um, 
you know, make you do a personal guarantee. They might be happy with just, uh, you know, having first lien position on the property. And, you know, as long as their agreement is set up correctly, I mean, that's something that, that having someone like David or an experienced investor to work with on that, it, it works out really well. I mean, we see a lot of that here. That's called uh, just asset-based lending. They don't really care too much about your credit or your income, but they better be secure with the asset that you're putting up. So what about uh, seller financing, Dylan? Yeah, so that, that kind of couples, um, private money goes right into seller financing. And um, the, the way that I look at seller financing from a, a real estate investor way is, if I'm making an offer on a property and it's owned by a private individual, typically, it could be an LLC, but it's not owned by a bank and it's not, um, it's not someone who's, who's necessarily looking to, to sell um, you know, at 30 years old and move up to their next home. So I'm, I'm dealing with folks who maybe have other properties or maybe have owned a property for a long time and don't necessarily need all their money at one t you know, all in one lump sum. So uh, going back to a, a zillion years ago, I mean, I, I'm not a historian, so it's surely not a zillion, but um, we all financed our, our own stuff, so to speak, until banks came around. So the, um, a lot of people think of land contracts, and, and seller financing isn't necessarily a land contract. David can probably tell you there's 50 different instruments that you could create um, a seller financing deal, but um, what, what a lot of investors like myself will do is we'll we'll buy a house from someone and let's say you buy it for a hundred thousand dollars. You may be able to give them $20,000 down and then pay them over time uh, what they're owed. And again, this is totally between you and the seller who, who basically becomes your private investor your private lender at that point. Um, so there's unlimited potential because again, if you go to a bank, you're going to run out of money. You can only get so many mortgages. You've only got so much dough. Now, if you're a multi-gazillionaire, hopefully you're listening to our podcast, but um, most of them aren't just dabbling you know, in, in residential real estate. So the unlimited potential of private lenders, the unlimited potential dealing with sellers and being able to create your own terms as long as everyone agrees is really, um, I think, probably the most important thing that you can work on, uh, whether you've done one property or, or a thousand. Those installment payment plans with your seller are really... Uh, they're becoming more popular because the rate of returns in, you know, just savings accounts, et cetera, it's just not there. So if you have, you know, the, the population is maturing, they have a lot of equity in their homes, they're selling, and if somebody can give them uh, a rate of return, of, let's say five to 8%, it's better than them putting the money in the bank or in the stock market. And they also are, the former owners or the sellers are, are much more comfortable with their own home, which was, you know, they're very used to. So they have no problem. Um, a lot of them don't have a problem uh, just financing a, a buyer. And usually, you know, like for the people like Dylan, uh, if you're in it for a flip, um, you know, or a fix up, it's still going to be short term money. They're, you're not going to be their, their purchaser for the next 30 years. Not like a mortgage. You might put a, a three year balloon on that or make it the term three years. But that way you can get in and fix up the property and have the seller be your financier. So it's, it's a great, it's great for everybody. I think to me, that's a win-win. If you, I don't know really how to go about finding that it's really not my area anymore, but how to find uh, willing sellers. I think you just have to ask, right, Dylan, it's not like you can look at equity, but is there I, a uh, list all equity, you know, properties with equity. 
Oh, sure. You can, you can buy lists with more information than you guys would ever really want to know. Um, it scares most people what, what actual marketing companies can, can get to nowadays, especially with Google and Facebook. But yeah, I think the, um, the number one way, just like anything, David, how, how'd you get your wife to dance with you the, the first time is you had to ask her, right? Hopefully right. we were, we were man enough to ask. We weren't too big of chickens, but <laughs> some of us are and, and we're lucky, but a uh, little, you know, inside joke, but, um, yeah, uh, I, I think you have to ask. I ask every single seller if they if they have any equity at all, if they'd be willing to take part of all of their payments um, or part of their equity in payments. And and basically, what they'll do is they'll they'll look at me and and the the ones who may kind of understand, they'll say, "I'm not sure what that means," which is which is my toe in the door, or. Like David said, there's a lot of baby boomers out there, um, or whether they be younger or old in that generation, but that's the typical generation of who I'm buying from right around the 65 year old, you know, 65 to 70. They're very sharp and they do not want a three quarters of a percent from their bank. They don't want to put it in Walmart or, or Facebook stock. And if I can pay them, whether it be 7% on their money or maybe five or 10,000 more for the property, it all depends. You can play with all those numbers they are much more willing to do that than you think because like David said, it's asset-based lending and they understand their own home. And a lot of people here in Metro Detroit, that's where I focus. You know, they understand like bricks and mortar because we're, you know, we're the motor city. So we're, we're, a, we're a, you know, an earthy, you know, gritty town. And a lot of those individuals would prefer to um, invest their own money and be in, in charge of it rather than just hand it over to, you know, a local institution. I agree. I think a lot of what we've seen is quite an increase in seller financing. And I've been a part of a few introductions between some people that want to sell their house and some investors. And a lot of the savvy investors, one of the first questions they ask is, why are you selling? Do you need the money all at once? You know, are you good to take it? And it opens up that door for the seller financing conversation. Um, Erica, I'm, I'm curious to know why I haven't been introduced to any of those sellers. I have introduced you to <laughs> No, I'm kidding. But yeah, I think, um, you know, wh whether, whether you've done a thousand deals again or you're on your first one, there's a few things you should focus on. And I, David brought this up. It's perfect. I mean, this is a huge nugget to take away. Just ask. It can't hurt because even though I wholesale a lot and, and what that means is I buy and resell really quickly, okay? Sometimes I don't even close on the property. However, if I can find a seller who's willing to accept payments or accept terms, I can wholesale that to one of my buyers. Now, of course, I'm going to have to let my seller know that. They're going to have to agree to deal with my buyer, and I wouldn't put them together with a buyer who I didn't trust enough at least to make that introduction. But that makes that a much more desirable deal. If I can call a guy and say, hey, buddy, I've got a deal over here, and uh, you only need to bring 10 grand down instead of 50 which means they're willing to probably pay a little bit more for that deal because you're creating the, the money for them. You're creating that, that long-term um, hold. So a uh, huge gold nugget, David, is, is make sure you ask. All right. You also have to make, now, <clears throat> this is just like the, the attorney in me. You have to make sure what you're talking about, Dylan, that the contract is assignable. Yes, because yeah, that... The, the first thing that they should do, you know, me r running the RIA and just being, you know, very vocal on the Facebook groups and being a, uh, uh, dare I say, local uh, real estate investing celebrity in, uh, in Warren, uh, <laughs> where, where, where I host the RIA. I'm kidding, of course. So I'll have people come to me and they'll say, hey, I need, your, I need a lease or I need an option. 
an uh, agreement or, or, or I need a, a land contract. And here's what I tell them. I'm willing to, to explain things to or help you, but you have to understand the attorneys who've been through my paperwork have, have changed it and edited it and made it stronger or, or changed things directly for my, myself and my company. So don't be cheap and sit down with a real estate attorney, spend that few couple thousand in that first year to be overprotected because you know, as I grow, I've, I've, I've learned that, uh, what is it? A, a, a penny up front is worth a, a million in the back or something like that. I don't know. A pound, a, a pound of prevention. Well, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right. So right. as, as, as we always, as David and I have joked on our, on our previous uh, video podcast, pay him now or pay him later. I'd rather pay him now. It's going to cost a lot less than if I have to pay him later and someone is, is upset. Now, you know, people think, and, and, and this is not, you know, uh, an area right now for self-promotion. That's not my intent, but it is far more gratifying to help people up front, you know, because the legal problems in real estate, and there are many, Eric and I were just talking about uh, an interesting file before we came on today. And it is so disheartening when you have to clean up a major mess. Um, usually, believe it or not, when we're talking about uh, financing um, and, and private financing, believe it or not, the, the biggest issues come between family members. So when you're when you're borrowing money from a family member, and it's your you know your first deal that you've done, and let's say it goes south, the first people who can't wait to get in get in the deal with you, uh, who should be very supportive, are all of a sudden your worst nightmare when it comes to a default or an issue or problem. So I tell clients all the time, if you're going to be borrowing money from family members uh, or good friends, and you want to maintain that relationship, the best thing that you can do is have an agreement. It doesn't have to be too intense, but just have an agreement that kind of sets the guidelines and the boundaries of what to expect, you know, setting the expectations between the parties. Um, and then the only other thing you always hear me say, Dylan, the gift that keeps on giving, right? And Erica, sure. we, um, don't you don't have to come to somebody like me you can go to a mentor you can go to you can go to a uh, investor I, I i dare say you can even go to a good title company like somebody like erica's title company but they have documents they just can't give you the guidance they can't provide legal um uh guidance and forms unto themselves are not what the law is about the form is actually the final product of the, the consequences of your actions and what will happen down the line is really dictated in the terms and provisions of what the two parties have agreed. So if anything, you can grab a form, but you need to have some tutelage. It, could, it should come from a real estate attorney, but if you decide not to use a real estate attorney, go to a real estate investor, somebody who's been doing it for years, a mentor that can help you. Here's the only problem with that. When the deal blows up, and they often do in some way, shape, or form. And I hate to sound like such a, a negative nilly, but because I only want success for clients, right? We only want people who are watching this to be successful. But when that deal blows up, you can't go back to that real estate investor who forgot to put the comma in in the right, right provision. But you can go back to an attorney. That's why we carry malpractice insurance. Right. I've never had, thank God I've never had it. Yeah, a client. Let, let me let me uh, double back on what David's saying too. We've got about seven, I think seven or so more minutes to go. We've only got one more topic, so we have a little time to, okay. to kind of play around. But 
Um, you know, I've, I've been running the RIA uh, of Macomb and I've been going to real estate networking events for close to 20 years now. So I know thousands of real estate investors. I've met them coming through my doors, going to other places. And uh, one of my big things is I want to promote every single group. So again, for the newer folks listening or, or the vets, if you're not going to real estate investment associations or to meetups or wherever they are, get on meetup.com, get on Facebook, you know, get on our Facebook group, Michigan Real Estate Investor Network, figure out where these places are at. So you can meet the people like David said, instead of bugging him for a free document, you can bug me. But I can tell you this, this is the truth. Last night, um, I've, I've been working with an investor only for about three months. They, we've become friends, met her and her husband at one of the groups years ago. She's been on my email list. She just bought a property from me. She's going to sell it on lease option, which is rent to own. And she knows I know what I'm doing. So she thinks, and so I think. So she <laughs> said, can you get me the documents? So I told her, I said, I will. Number one, um, when somebody walks into a, a room and asks me for something for free, I'm not just going to hand it to them unless they need, a, unless they need help. That's different. But I want to make sure that they're actually doing something. And th these people are doing something. They're flipping four houses at a time. They're out of their mind. Believe me, it's awesome. So when she asked me for help, I said, call me. So I spent a half hour with her and I beat it into her head how important it is that when I give her these documents, have an attorney look at them because her husband is a W-2 employee. He works for the big three. He's an engineer. He's making six figures. They're flipping 10 houses a year making big money. So I said, I, I'll give you the outset here, but make sure you're not doing something that is, is going to put you in harm's way. So I gave her the, the lease and the option agreement. And of course, you know, I gave her David's name and a couple of other um, way too expensive attorneys. So she'll come back to David because he's very fairly priced. Um, but I, I hope she does because I don't want her to make a mistake. And in my email to her, I told her because I've been taught by David uh, and getting in, in my own, you know, in my own battles, I'm like, do not take these and use them without taking them to an attorney first. I'm afraid now, even David, that if I send somebody a document, I can get sued. I mean, I am a real estate broker. So could, could she file a suit against me if something went wrong with that paperwork? Sure, she can. Is it going to stick? Hopefully not. Dylan, I even have, first of all, what you just said was great. Um, I am affordable. <laughs> no, but uh, what um, I even disclaim a lot of language that I put in. Uh, in my education, like on my site, or I, I do sure. post at the bottom, you've seen them, questions and answers. It says, you know, there's an educational disclaimer. But uh, getting back to whatever you do, whether you get financing from a seller, um, whether you go to the bank, whether you get a form from a title company like Erica's, whatever you do when it comes to money, money uh, is the easiest thing to sell, but it's the most dramatic and problematic item uh, to deal with if there's a default. Always get a contract. Always have somebody review it that's competent. That's all I'm going to suggest. But uh, I don't have anything much more to say on that. Um, I just want to ask one more question, uh, Dylan, related to financing uh, from an investor standpoint. Do you borrow with your uh, with your own name, or do you borrow using a, a company name? Uh, I I do both. I personally sign for every every private loan. So they may lend to one of my many entities, but I personally sign because I want them to know. And again, you know, we're, this isn't a, a full seminar here on, on how to borrow private money. But um, if, you called, if you called David, he'd probably tell you the same thing. You know, be careful. When you promise to do something, you have to follow through no matter what. Because you're, you're not going to leave town. You can't leave a private individual high and dry. Number one, because it's wrong. Number two, because they can come after you. And number three, your name is mud. And um, I, I, think, I, think you should, I think you should be willing to personally sign. Mm -hmm. When we um, 
the next seminar, perhaps what we can do uh, as part of this program is we can go through a purchase agreement and a loan agreement. Uh, all three of us have seen these documents. Uh, you know, I know Erica, of all people, you close hundreds of deals a month. So you see more purchase agreements and closing documents than anybody. But when it comes to borrowing money, what does a finance contract look like? What does a land contract look like? You know, what's a purchase agreement look like? We can do that, Dylan, in another uh, event, right? Oh yeah, for sure. We'll, um, when, when we do our focus, I think, on private money in the next, in the next few weeks coming up here, um, we can do a screen share even. We'll set it all up. Right. And uh, I'll just be here to look pretty because you guys are the important ones on that one. You know, I can talk about how to find private lenders and how to structure everything before it gets time for the paperwork. But, you know, that's, that's why having the three of us on here makes so much sense for a lot of these um, episodes. So the, the one final thing I wanted to bring up, which was kind of like a bonus to me, is hard money. So um, for those of you who are learning how to do real estate investing on YouTube or bigger pockets, you're going to see a lot of, about hard money. And I believe, and this is how I always like to say it, what, what I believe hard money is, is a, a private individual who is willing to lend their money out. They're not your aunt. They're not your buddy from work. They're not your friend you grew up with. This is someone who is in business to make money. They know what they're doing. They're going to want to typically charge points up front and a higher rate and be very severe with the punishment if you don't, if you don't basically follow up with the, the loan covenants, if you want to call it that, that, that um, they set forth in the documents. So a typical transaction would look like this. You want to borrow $50,000 to buy a house to flip. That hard money lender is going to look at that property. They're going to want somewhere between three, five. I've even heard of seven to 10 points. Here in Metro Detroit, it's five, I say, would be average, uh, especially for newer people. Then they're going to want 12 or 15% on, uh, a rate on that 50000 So for you to borrow that money, they're going to want 3000 or 5000 right from your pocket first to give you the 50. And then the rate's going to be, let's just call it 12%. And then they're going to put a six-month term on it. If you don't complete in six months, they're going to want you to, to re-up, pay more money on top of it. And, um, you know, to me, they're mercenaries. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because if you get the money to get the deal, deal done, that's all that matters. But um, you'll hear a lot about hard money lenders. And there's a lot of institutional hard money lenders, which are really, most of the time, they're just banks who kind of have a charade that they're hard money lenders, but that's a term that's been thrown around in real estate long before I started. I don't know, David, if that goes back like the fifties and forties and long before your time also. But I, you know, I, when I first started in the early and late nineties, I heard a lot about hard money, hard money, hard money. So um, be very careful for, for you newer folks. When you deal with hard money lenders, again, take that, take that document that they give you and send it off to a, a David Sobel, you know, an attorney, a licensed attorney, have them go through and say, here's where you can get hurt really, really bad. And make sure that what, what they're offering you, uh, the terms, you're going to be able to follow through because they are not going to screw around. It's not like your good buddy who says, oh, you need another three months. They can come and look at the property and say, okay, I can see that it's almost done. Some hard money lenders can just bam, right there, start foreclosure proceedings if you are unable to pay them back. It's a really good point. And um, I see a lot. I've been doing hard money lending uh, with, with real estate law and what they call mortgage and finance law since 1990. So uh, the, it's changed quite a bit. There's a lot of new regulatory uh, requirements when it comes to hard money. But when it comes to real estate investment property, the provisions and regulations are a lot looser. And um, private investors or hard money lenders still get away with quite a bit 
in the event that an a, a investor defaults on the loan. So again, you know, it's all about the agreement and having somebody competent to review it. But that money, where do they find those type of people, Dylan? I think um, the, the hard money lenders, I think you'll, you'll find them um, sometimes at different real estate investing events. Uh, again, you've just got to get out there, like David said, and ask. If there's anything to take away from this episode, it's ask, especially when we're talking about money, not just private money, but any funding. Um, you know, I, I know guys at banks who say, hey, if you have these, this, and this qualifications, I can get you X amount of dollars right now. And, to, and back in the day, I would never look at a bank at all for financing. And then I go, oh, really? It's that easy right now? Let's take a look at least. But um, yeah, I think, um, I think a, lot of, a lot of investors will find um, so, you know, so-called hard money lenders like on, on bigger pockets or more nationwide. But you've got to be out in, in the streets. You've got to be out at all these different meetups. I mean, David and I met at a meetup probably five years ago now. And, um, you know, we've become pretty good friends and, and been able to do some, some fun podcasting and different speaking events together. And I've known Erica since the, um, since probably 2007 or 2008, we met at a, at a real estate investing group. And basically, I, I mean, I always say this, all my best friends in business and personally almost have come from real estate investing groups, but you know, unfortunately that's what I love and that's what I do. Um, so that, that's what I would say about hard money. I just caution newer people, be very careful. And a lot of times when a hard money lender or one of these weird institutional lenders you see on Facebook again, or bigger pockets, or you just find somewhere, they're going to tell you that they've got this much money to lend and then they'll lend it. And then once you send them all the information about the deal, they always, and I mean always drop how much they're willing to lend because they want you to beat up the person you're selling it to to get a better deal. So when I'm wholesaling, I do not take those offers. I want cash unless it's someone I trust a million percent. I'm never going to lock up a deal with quote unquote hard money because I don't believe the lender because it's not cash. They're still borrowing from, from someone. So that's all I have to say about hard money. Good. Um, I guess as we kind of close it out, um, what, uh, let's just go down the line. We can start with you, Erica. What would you say, the, the best advice you could give to a newer real estate investor is um, just about how to, how to find, you know, how to, how to fund their deals, not just private money, but whether it be banks or hard money or seller financing from, from your aspect, um, from title. I think, like we've been saying, you know, you need to get out, you need to meet people, you need to go to these networking meetings, um, you need to talk to people. I mean, it might be their grandma that has, money that they're willing to loan. I mean, you just, you just don't know. Um, I've been sitting next to people. I didn't know he was a millionaire. You, you, you know, people just, they don't just come right out and wear a big button that flashes that says, I have money. So you need to go out, you need to talk to people. Um, and even, you know, people that are investor friendly title companies. I, I know people, I know people that will do transactional funding. I know people that will you know, um, look at different deals that are looking to lend their, their money because they make a better rate of return. So it's just getting out there and asking and knowing the right people. You're smiling, did I say something? I, no, I think that's great. I, I, that's not what I'm going to say. I'm just, I'm <laughs> hoping, I'm like, please don't say what I'm going to say. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to sit here and, and I'm just going to have to press end. <laughs> so David, what do you think? Well, you know, what Erica said was excellent. And the only other thing I was going to correct Erica one thing, Erica, I have actually met people who have walk around with name tags that say, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Can you tell you me know, where those people, people are? 
those people you want to stay far away from because usually <laughs> they aren't, right? Those, yeah. those are not the people you want to deal with. The only thing I was going to uh, add um, is that just from, yes, I know that I'm always very negative. I sound negative coming across uh, on these type of shows. But the only thing I would share is that if it sounds too good to be true, it often is, especially in the past, I would say the past 10, not 10 years, since 2012, when real estate came back into fashion after 2008 with the recovery. Uh, there's a lot of people doing deals who don't own property that they, you know, they're really not uh, entitled to be selling property. Um, there's just so much due diligence that has to occur. But Erica is 100% correct. Keep your eyes open, ears open, because the guy next door to you or the lady next door to you is the person probably who has the money to fund your deal. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, again, goes back to uh, today's golden nugget is ask. Um, I guess what I, what I want to bring up is something a little more tactical and strategic, which is uh, not normal for me. Um, so uh, what I was taught a very long time ago is you should have some type of a credibility kit. And I think that it's really important, whether you're going to go for private financing or bank financing, that you have something that you can hand the person. Um, David might say you should have a, a business plan and you, you should have a, you know, a prospectus and that kind of thing. I don't know if you need to go that deep necessarily if you're looking for 50 or 100,000. It kind of depends on your, your own personality, I would say. But I think it's nice to be able to hand something to someone and just say to them, hey, whether it be a banker or, or a private financier, just say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's some of the deals I've done. Here's some of the people I've done business with. Just a credibility kit because it shows that you're maybe willing to go a little bit further than the next person. And it definitely can't hurt regardless of, of, um, you know, of, of if the person lends to you or not, because you should get more no's than yeses. If you're getting more yeses than no's, then I need to come and learn from you because most people are going to tell you no, whether you're trying to buy a house, whether you're trying to find a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether you're trying to get a discount on an automobile, you've got to work hard and, and again, ask. But I think having a credibility kit is huge because it just shows that you're one step apart from everyone else. And then, you know, then you can kind of start your sales process and it's not really selling. It's more just teaching them what you do because if they're not interested in what you're doing or in you as a person, you're not going to get money from them. Again, unless it's, unless it's a bank unless it's a hard money lender, but it still helps to have those relationships. David's been in banking or was in banking for many years and I'm sure he made great relationships that still hold true today. You know, just, just because some of those clients were, were, you know, handled themselves differently. And that makes you think, Hey, this is somebody I can do business with even after this, you know, after this run is done. Great point. No, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a ramble, but I just, I wanted to no, get that out no. because I, I don't talk about credibility kits enough. I think because it scares people. The last one that I did, it took me about 30 hours to create it. I actually sent one to your office, David. I don't know if you received it, but uh, we we rejected it right off the bat. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I didn't get returned returned to sender. When, when David and I mail each other, it takes yeah. six to nine months, and it usually travels to, to different counties. But right. um, but no, I've never heard of a credibility kit. I mean, you know, it sounds like a resume or a curriculum vitae, but it, it's an excellent excellent idea for for new people. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And, and I think it makes you, it makes you look at yourself. It's almost like they say journaling or blogging is good, you know, stepping away from real estate, but it makes you take a step back and say, wait a minute, what, what am I really doing here? Am I going to be a, a fix and flipper? Am I going to be a wholesaler? Am I going to be a landlord and make sure that 
when you really think about when someone's going to lend you money, be it a bank or a private person, you have everything set up in your own mind to make sure that you're going to be able to follow through. And not just on this deal, on, on multiple deals, hopefully. Right. Very so, good. I guess with that, I think uh, I think we'll end uh, we'll end today's episode. We hope you found a lot of value in today's show. If there's anything we mentioned and you missed it, don't worry. We take all of the notes, and you can find them at michiganreinetwork.com forward slash episodes. If you want to meet any of today's guests in person, you can usually find them at a hashtag the network meetup in Metro Detroit. You can find all about the network at www.michiganreinetwork.com. By the way, if you're new, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes of this show. This brings us to the end of another episode of Hashtag The Network Roundtable Podcast. And as always, share the love.